Hey, dummies. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Tyler Froberg. I'm Noah Young with the Shiloh Farm. And this is Farming for Dummies. The podcast where we explore the vast world of agriculture and break it down in a way that dummies like us can understand. Should we actually call today's episode, How to Be a Cowboy for Dummies? Oh, I love that idea. <laughs> I love that. Either that or just the greatest bull rider of all time. Well, Dale, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait for this episode. But before we do that, Tyler... I want to hear about your farm. You said you were picking some potatoes, getting squash in the ground. What's new this week? We're pretty close to digging potatoes. Of course, the potatoes that we're picking are for the chef market, so most of them are going to be new potatoes, smaller potatoes. Fun fact, potatoes actually have an indicator on when they're the perfect size for new potatoes, and it's right when the flower falls off. That's for most varieties. So the potato plant will flower. And as soon as those flower petals fall off, is it's almost perfect timing for harvesting new potatoes. So we're right about there. If you've been on my Instagram lately, then you've seen the the potato flower pictures. So we're pretty excited. What's uh what's new up there in Nebraska? Man, it's just been extremely busy. But I did hear something the other day that I thought was really cool. Uh, they said that busy isn't always good. Because you can be busy doing a lot of different things, but not actually being efficient, getting things done. So I'm going to rephrase that. We have been efficient. We got all of our plants, like tomatoes and peppers and herbs. We got all those in the ground. We're past danger of last frost. Knocking on wood there because I feel like now we're going to get like a May <laughs> blizzard or something. But we're past danger of last frost and... It is full-on garden time. But my mind has actually not been on the garden much at all lately because all I want to do is hop on a horse and start roping cattle because this episode inspired me. I'm not even sure how to introduce today's guest other than <laughs> saying he's the number one cowboy of all time. The goat. He's the goat. He is the goat. And you know, here at the Farming for Dummies podcast, one thing we've always wanted to try to do is to paint a picture. Our goal is, of course, to educate everyone listening on whatever subject we're talking about and paint a really, really clear, vivid mental picture. And I feel like today's episode does that. Yeah. And I just love that rodeo is not something people would typically think about in farming or agriculture, but how connected the sport of rodeo really is to farming. You know, you think about a lot of sports like basketball and football, they're main origin was purely to entertain, to pass the time kind of out of boredom. And it seems like with rodeo, it was out of necessity. It was something that these people were learning these skills, maybe not riding bulls, but roping. They were learning these skills out on the farm and then translating that to a sport. And so I just loved hearing the history of this and what it actually takes to be the greatest bull rider of all time. So with that, we're going to hop on the old good living tractor and start plowing that compaction between your ears. He's the world's greatest bull rider, as well as owning the largest ranch in Texas, Radiator Ranch. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Dale Brisby. How are you doing today, Dale? It's good, Tyler. Great to be here. Uh, you said it. Greatest bull rider ever to walk the earth, as well as the most humble. And uh, <laughs> I just appreciate you guys rolling out the red carpet. Well, you have been on Marcus Luttrell's podcast. You have a wildly successful YouTube channel, apparel company, plus you have your own show on Netflix. So what in the world made you decide to be on the Farming for Dummies podcast? Well, you know, I know what it's like to start a podcast and not that you guys just got started, but you're, you know, you're constantly looking for guests and, uh, um, uh, 
you're trying to get the word out about the industry. Anyhow, I know, I know what that's like. So when you guys reached out to me, I think via Instagram, while podcasts are pretty time consuming, it's also a chance to kind of share with, with other audiences um, about the industry and maybe dispel myths or just educate or uh, yeah, just tell stories. So everyone's pretty familiar with phrases like Dale. Yeah. You ain't no cowboy old son, but can you tell us a little bit more about the man behind the sunglasses, specifically your background in ranching? Are you a multi-generational producer? And then of course uh, how you got into the sport of rodeo. Well, I guess I was born into both ranching and rodeo. You know, my old man was, uh, when, when I was born, he was working on a ranch that, uh, called the pitchfork ranch, uh, in Guthrie, Texas, and, uh, real close to the four sixes, which is getting a lot of uh, notoriety right now because of the show Yellowstone. And anyhow, so the, the pitchfork there is, uh, I guess, you know, we went on, he went on to some other ranches and some other trades after that uh, all within the cowboy community but he uh my foundation of what it meant to be a cowboy w- was built built there and 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 um whether we were running wheat pasture cattle or uh, later he became an ag teacher and uh, we managed a smaller ranch you know outside of memphis texas but we were we were constantly horseback we were constantly you know if not raising our own cows on our place then managing other people's cows and so that way of life is something that that my old man instilled in me and another thing that he instilled in me and Leroy was uh just rodeo and he could do every pretty much every event and and he was even like a PRCA judge where you know they've got to be educated on each event in in the sport of rodeo but his passion was really on the uh on the rough stock end of the arena. So when you, when you, when you think about rodeo, it can be divided up into two types of events. You've got timed event and then you've got rough stock. So the timed event is team roping, barrel racing, uh, calf roping, steer roping, et cetera. The, the timed event where you're horseback and, and you're trying to get the fastest time possible. The rough stock end of the arena kind of, um, there, there's really, I would say five, you know, events quote unquote in the rough stock into the arena your main three are bareback saddle bronc and bull riding and you try to ride those animals for eight seconds but then i like to also include bullfighters and pickup men and so there's five activities you could do on the rough stock into the arena and typically they're on opposite ends of the arena you know your your timed event will be on one end and your rough stock will be on the other end we pretty much my family did everything on the rough stock into the arena my old man was bareback saddle bronc bull rider he could fight bulls and uh, actually, when he passed away, he was actually picking up at a rodeo. So, oh wow, wow, yeah, my 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 life was just if we weren't, I like to say if I'm not uh, bullback, I'm horseback. You know, if we if I, if we weren't riding this animal, we were riding the other animal. And so, yeah, as as long as I can remember, like I, I was I was literally born into it. And uh, so that that's kind of where my passion was you know? And so that, that's how it got started for me. And, and I've just never seen myself not involved. I, I want to kind of take it back a little bit. You mentioned that your dad was an ag teacher. I am also a former ag teacher as well as former FFA member. And a lot of our guests are also former members of the old blue and gold were, did, did you, did you ever have to zip up that blue and gold jacket yourself? Uh, pretty much did anything FFA 
you know, offered. I ended up <laughs> being a, I was a state officer in Texas and, um, I, I did it all. You know, I did all the speaking events. I did all the, you know, a lot of people think that when you, you know, when you're an FFA, you just, it means that you show animals. And that was, that was, you know, I enjoyed certain aspects of that, but what I enjoyed most was like the, the leadership events and the speaking events, you know, um, that side of FFA. And that's where all the money comes from. When I say money, I mean like scholarships. So like my Absolutely. sister, she went to, she went to A&M and, when she, she ended up with like thirty forty thousand dollars $40,000 in scholarships, which when she went through, that was enough money to really get you through a lot of college these days that might pay for half of your first semester. A couple credits. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, yes, I was very active in the FFA. And you also have a ranch of your own now. What all do you guys raise there? Uh, just, just cows, cows, uh, just beef cattle. You know, I've got some rodeo cows that I partner on with JB Mooney, but that's, uh, they're located. They, we keep those at his place there in Stephenville. So I've just got what on paper it'd be called commercial cows. So I got some Angus cows and some Herefords and I got a little set of heifers that I'm, you know, we'll, we'll keep some heifers back occasionally. And that, that's kind of the main thing that, that we, if you watch my content, that's what you'll see us messing with are my commercial cows. Now, obviously you're the world's greatest bull rider. No secret there. How, how long, how many years have you been in the sport and what, what made you begin to, to kind of share that rodeo culture across social media? Well, so, I mean, like I said, I've been in the sport my whole life and involved in some shape, form or fashion, whether, you know, we were getting on sheep as kids or steers up, you know, into junior high and then bulls and broncs in high school. And then after high school, it just kind of a little wildfire took off and, and, um, rodeo just really grabs a hold of you. You know, if, if you've, if any of the listeners, if you've ever been involved in any sort of team sport or, or, or you know, football in high school, you had that camaraderie with your team. And, you know, anybody that had a passion for football probably at one point had a dream of going on to play college ball, et cetera. Well, rodeo grabs you in kind of the same way, except that um, there's ultimate freedom. You can enter wherever you want to go. Uh, it, it's it's an individual sport, so it depends on you alone. So you can work as hard as you want and then reap the benefits of that. You're not subject to you know it's a good and bad thing it's a trade-off hmm. i just can't explain the way that like adrenaline mixed with camaraderie mixed with the epitome of freedom as an american it all grabs you and so once you go to your first couple of rodeos you just you a lot of guys end up not looking back and they just take off and and so um that grabbed me at an early age and i've never looked back as far as social media and the way that it it got integrated there was i would say my experience through the FFA gave me the um, confidence to be on camera and speak and, and whatnot. Being a class clown growing up, I loved making my mom, grandmother laugh. You know, they were, those two people were my biggest um, supporters as far as an audience early on. And so when social media came around, the timing was just pretty uh, divine. I'll say that, all these things, my ability to public speak, my passion behind rodeo and my desire to be the class clown to make people laugh, they all came together and we turned on a camera. And so that actually started 12 years ago. So a lot, as far as like 
creating content, quote unquote. We didn't even know that we were creating content the first three or four years. You know, we were essentially executing a formula that would help us build a brand and we didn't even know it. And, and mm -hmm. so, um, and I think that's part of the reason that we were successful is because it was never about money in those first three or four years. So that's kind of how everything got integrated and has come to this point. And as far as teaching, there's a lot of, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are the same way, but there's a lot of people out. I've got nine interns right now and they're from uh, Maryland, Tennessee, North Carolina, Missouri, California, Nebraska, um, another from Missouri, Georgia. Um, there's one from Montana. Originally, he's from Washington. And so you've got these people that wouldn't have an opportunity to experience ranching or rodeo outside of this internship. Um, and so they come here, they work for my apparel company. And then like, for instance, yesterday, we spent all day, all of them came out and, uh, we branded calves in the morning. We gathered a couple pastures, they flanked calves, vaccinated, and then we got back to the ranch and we bucked bulls and bucking horses. And so that's not, that's usually one or two days a week, but, uh, they came here to learn those things. And so there's not a lot of places where somebody can go make a living and then also get to experience that. But I, I've got a passion for teaching, you know, what little I know about all these things and giving young people an opportunity. I kind of bounced around there, but as far as actually competing, it's been ever since I was old enough to buy a card, you know, years ago. Um, when I say a card, like you got to be 18 years old to like buy like a permit to ride in these associations, for instance, the PRCA. And so ever since I was legally able to go to rodeos, I've been going to rodeos, you know, and I went to junior rodeos before that, but, you know, and I've, I've had a couple of injuries that have hit pause, you know, for some reason, people tend to think that I'm quote unquote retired, but that's not the case. I've just, I've been plagued with some injuries here lately that have kept me out of the game, but I don't normally talk about that. So nobody knows it, but that's why, you know, one of the reasons why you don't see old DB like entered up constantly right now. So. so do you mind telling us how many bones you broke in your body? I used to have a tally, you know, I just recently had a uh, collarbone surgery. I broke that three times. I've, I've, I broke a finger the other day. I've broken my sternum. I've broken my left arm three times. I've broken the bones in my right hand. I've had two back surgeries. Uh, thank the Lord. I've not had anything done to my knees or ankles. That's been a huge blessing that, um, because in addition to riding bareback saddle bronc and bull riding, I also fought bulls. And so spending that much time in the arena on the rough stock end, like you're just exposed to those danger moments constantly. Um, and there's ways to mitigate risk as far as like how you, for instance, shoot procedure before the ride and then maybe dismount procedure after the ride, there's ways to mitigate risk, which I have, but there's still a danger factor. Even when you do everything right, you could still get hurt. I would say that the, the bigger thing that's, that's people are starting to get alarmed about in rodeo is just, you know, the number of concussions. It's not really monitored, you know, because unlike the NFL, there's, there, there's multiple associations where people can just, and, and you're on your own, you know? And so you've got guys out there that are just rodeoing and rodeoing and rodeoing and rodeoing. And some of them, you can just say the word hit your head and it might knock them out. You know, mm -hmm. they, they get knocked out so easy, but I've not had as many as 
guys that I know. But um, that's probably the one thing to watch out for. Broken collarbone will heal. Broken arm will heal. <laughs> you know, back stuff, neck stuff, head injuries. Those are the more serious ones. You, you talked a, a lot about giving back to the industry by allowing uh, these these interns to come and, and spend their day with you and learn learn everything there is to know uh, from you. So what what does a normal day on your ranch look like with the interns? It just depends on the intern. It depends on why you came here. So they don't all work on the ranch all day. Um, I've got one. They, they come here for different reasons. I've got a few that came here to ride bulls. I've got a few that came one here that one here came to ride saddle bronc courses. I've got uh, uh, one young guy. He came to literally learn how to grow his brand. One girl edits. One guy came. He thought he was going to ride bulls, but now he's switching to steer wrestling. I've got a steer wrestler and a breakaway roper. I don't. There's not much I can help them with. Like, and I tell them like, like I'm just not a timed event guy. I can teach you how to ride a horse, and I can teach you the basic fundamentals of throwing and holding a rope. But as far as like extensive training on how to be an effective breakaway roper like she's going to have to go elsewhere for that so there's also the apparel company which um you know that's what i'm sitting in my office there now and, and we've got about 18 19 employees here that work in the apparel company and so a lot of them will spend mornings there helping get orders out um, editing videos there's a media team and then there's the apparel company and so some are on the media team i think i've got five interns on the media team the other four are in the on the warehouse floor and so they might spend uh we'll either spend the day filming ranching or in the warehouse editing or sending out orders and then we've got some employees that are sending out orders constantly and that they were recruited locally they're not interns they're just uh, employees that work for the company so it's it's before I hire an intern, what I do is I've got this unlisted YouTube video that uh so I've got a text uh people can text me. Um it's nine four oh three five three oh eight nine oh. They'll text me the word intern and it puts them on a list. And anytime we need a new intern, I send out this eighteen minute video and it explains all the different things they'll be doing. It explains this job and and so before they get here, they're pretty well aware of like what they'll be doing day to day. That's awesome. So a lot of our <laughs> listeners may be thinking, what the heck does rodeo have to do with farming or agriculture? Can you talk about the ties between rodeo and agriculture? Well, I mean, just the earliest of rodeos was ranches competing, you know, um, your local community, you, you just have guys come together, like who can ride the rankest bronc, like which cowboy is, you know, when, when you get, if you spend time on a ranch, like there's certain talents and abilities that, that ranch hands will, will have that, you know, that might be all they have because they're not going to get paid a lot. They're not going to get. And so all they have is their ability to ride a rank bucking horse that won't quit bucking their ability to rope anything at any speed from the top of horse, their ability to flank a calf. They're a bit like, like those are respected traits still today. Like if you, if you go on a ranch, like you may not know anything about it, but you're going to feel like that guy over there is a top hand because of his ability to cowboy 
and he's 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 one of the most effective and top hand cowboys. There's other things that go into it, you know, his ability to lead, his ability to follow orders or whatever it may be. But I think as long as ranches have existed, these cowboys have wanted to compete and put those things together. And so you go to these local communities and and still today you'll you'll experience that 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 love of the competition um i mean it was the earliest form of competition i think for this country and so um the events i hate to use this word but the events evolved over time into what they are today like some of the equipment that's used but it's made the animals more athletic and the cowboys more athletic so it's made for good watching so the foundation of rodeo is agriculture 100 percent, and um a lot of these Rodeo cowboys have a foundation in ranching. So like a lot of saddle bronc riders come from big, you know, like they have a ranching background typically. Like you'll, you'll find most saddle bronc riders like know how to ride a horse and can like, you, you'll have some bull riders that they come from like a mainstream, like they might come from the city. And mm. that if somebody wants to play rough stuff because they don't have to know how to ride a horse. If you're going to team rope or calf rope, you better know how to sit a horse really well. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, if you don't know anything, well, bull riding, like the fundamentals to ride a horse around on a trail ride are much different than the fundamentals to effectively. I mean, there's some similarities. Yes. But like, you don't have to know those fundamentals to effectively ride a bull or learn how to ride a bull. And so, um, yeah, I would say that you do have some people in the in in the sport that don't come from the industry, but it it's most of us do. Most of us have like been on horses and gathered cows and um occasionally you get farmers that come over. You know, there's a lot of similarities there. So um farmers are responsible for what we feed our cows. So everything's connected. With Yellowstone 1883, it seems like Western rodeo culture is really at the forefront of things. So in your own definition, what is a cowboy? What does it take to be a cowboy? Well, rodeo and Western has has been growing in popularity over the last several years. You know, Yellowstone and 1883 has helped really expedite that. But we have you know, we've had a, a large level of interest in this industry for a long time coming. And that that's all thanks, I believe, to social media. You know, movies have helped over the decades, but social media, you know, Chris Ledoux has a song. It's like, you just can't see us from the road. And yeah. what he means by that is like, mm. cowboys exist, but you can't see us from the road. Well, now with Snapchat and, you know, TikTok and YouTube, well, there's some of us out here putting out consistent content and you can now see us from anywhere. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's created a level of interest and that's where, you know, the internship program started for me. And then the Netflix show really helped, you know, that list of people that text me for interns is like 12,000 strong. Like I, I literally, when I text out like, Hey, we need an intern, submit a video. I'm texting that to 12,000 people. Holy cow. And, and there's more out there that just don't know the program exists. But the point is, is like, there's an interest in this, in this industry. And they're all wanting to be a cowboy. Well, what is a cowboy? When they get here, they learn. You know, I, th- I think there's two things to, to, to consider whenever you're thinking about this. And, you know, a cowboy, you've got like the Webster's di- Dictionary, which I don't know what it would say, but I imagine it would be something like uh, someone who makes their living horseback or works around cows. 
and probably horses as well. Um, Chris Ledoux in his biography, Cody Johnson, the singer asked the guy who wrote Chris Ledoux's biography. And he was like, what, what did you not put in the book that you wish you had? And, and the author said it was Chris's definition of a cowboy. And that is let your yes be yes. And your no be no. And that comes from a, a scripture in the book of Matthew. But essentially what that means is I think cowboy is something that anybody can attain to be. And I believe that there's some steps to get there. If you want to be like a practicing cowboy who ranches every day, that's going to take a lot of hard work and a willingness to, you know, go without a lot of money as you're learning the, the, the trade in and of itself is very difficult, you know, like to train a horse, to catch a cow, to, to, you know, gather a pen of wild cows. Like all those things are very difficult to learn how to do. You don't just go do it. You know, um, it's something that takes time. It takes years of learning the mannerisms, mannerisms of these animals. So there's a lot of people that come into this program and they're like, well, yeah, I want to, I want to start a ranch one day and I want to, um, I want to support a family and have a nice, you know, I'd like to have a thousand acre ranch and, and have <laughs> cows that cows that pay my bills. And, um, it, it's just, it's just, it's going to, it's really hard to make a living with cows. If you're starting by being a cowboy, because, mm-hmm. you know, land, the cows themselves, they're all so expensive. Um, so I've put out a ton of videos. I, you know, I've got videos titled five ways to get started ranching, you know, 10 ways to get started ranching and there are trades within the industry. But essentially if your goal is to just own cows and pay your bills, that's going to take a lot of hard work for a lot of years. And you're not going to just do it. Like you might be an electrician, you know, and, and, you know, after two or three years, you're making a living supporting a family being an electrician. You know, that it's, it's a little more complicated than that. And I go into the detail into the reasons as to why here, but, um, cause it is possible, but it's, it's just, it's much more difficult than people think it is. We're going to find out what it's like to be a cowboy and drop into one of those buck and shoots under those arena lights after the break. So Tyler, imagine you're a bucking bull and you just got ridden by Dale Brisby for a full nine seconds, an extra second, just because he's such an overachiever. Whoa. <laughs> you're a little distraught. You're a little depressed. You just got covered by the greatest bull rider of all time. You know what would really pick you up at the end of the night when you walk into your stall? I, I can't wait to hear. A fresh layer of bedding from Eaton Pet and Pasture. Oh, yeah. Not only would that bull arrive to a very happy pen, I bet he'd be ready to buck four more times that night. Not only is Eaton Pet and Pasture hemp bedding great for bucking bulls, but it's great for all your pets and livestock. That's right. You don't have to be a bucking bull or the greatest bull rider of all time to enjoy eating pet and pasture. And now you can get 20% off using code dummies. Only the best for your pets. EatonPetandPasture.com. It's the first Friday night of your county fair. You're dropping down in the chute. 
The arena lights are on. The crowd is going nuts. ACDC Thunder is just booming over the loudspeakers. What's going through your mind as you drop down in that shoot? You know, for me personally, being the greatest bull rider of all time at that point, I'm probably thinking, you know, what am I going to have for dinner after I go to 90 on this bull? <laughs> you know, am I going to have... Am I going to have the eight-piece chicken nugget set or am I going to have the 12-piece chicken nugget set? What kind of Makes sauce sense. am I going to get on the side? Makes sense. Um, you know, for a normal cowboy, what's what's going through his mind is at that point, you know, you've got a set of fundamentals and you've got a routine that you're going through for your shoot procedure. And that routine is um, something you've done a thousand times. So to set you up to uh, succeed in the fight. And that's usually what you've got your fundamentals down of how to ride a bull, how to get out of certain situations. And so you're, you're normally thinking about the fight. You're thinking about where you need to be mentally to execute those fundamentals in the midst of chaos. And so that's why, you know, you train, that's why you practice. Uh, I read a lot of war books uh, because, and I, and I think that's the same thing, you know, they train, 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 train so that they can execute when people are shooting at them. Well, it's a lot of a lot of similarities. Not the stakes aren't near as high, obviously. I mean, you you are on a bull that's trying to kill you. Which it it does happen. Like I know I have I know people that have died from this sport. So, but it, it's just it's a lot less likely than you know the trade of being you know a marine reconnaissance sniper. So anyway, you've got to be able to perform under pressure. You've got to be able to execute and and uh, execute fundamentals. It looks like chaos. It looks like you're just kind of like tight grip and throw your arm around, and that's what keeps you on the bull. But we've actually got fundamentals in each one of these rough stock events. For instance, in the saddle bronc ride, you've got to lift on your bronc rein, like straight up motion almost, rather than okay. pull. So you've got to lift and stay back on a bucking horse. Well, if you, if you pull, that's going to dart, you, you know, your shoulders are going to come forward in front of your hips and that's going to throw you over the front of the horse. So you can't pull and lean forward. That's your, that's your intuition. Hmm. So if you guys, if you've never been on a bucking horse, if you get on a buck, a saddle bronc horse and he comes out of the chute, maybe you've been on a few saddle horses that were gentle. Well, the first thing you want to do is like sit up and pull, you know, that's your intuition, but everything about rodeo is counterintuitive. And so instead of sit up and pull, you need to lean back, engage your core, keep your shoulders behind your hips, and then lift on your bronchrane. And it's going to help drive your hips down into the saddle. And so that's counterintuitive. And so in the midst of a fight, you've got to be able, you've got to be in control of your emotions enough that you can execute fundamentals that are counterintuitive. Same thing in a firefight. I, I assume if you were a soldier and you go into a room, people start shooting at you, your intuition is to run. Well, if you're an elite soldier who's like trying to execute a mission, you don't run away from it. You run towards it. That's counterintuitive. And you've got to train for that. And the more times you put yourself in that situation, the better you're going to get at it. I myself am an army veteran and what we called it was muscle memory. Yes. Yep. So same thing here. You know, you, you train and you don't have time to think when you're on the back of a bull, you don't have time to think, all right, I need to shuffle my feet forward, turn my toes out. I need to slam my hips into my bull rope. I've got to reach, you know, control my free arm. You don't, by the time all that stuff, if you have to think those things, you're bucked off. Same thing I assume whenever you're clearing a house that maybe has the enemy in it, like by the time you think, all right, I've got to 
you know, do this with my trigger finger. I've got to pull my gun up here. By the time you think all that, you're, you're, you're dead. And so um, if you've not trained properly, what is it? They, I think one of the branches, they say you don't, you don't rise to the level of the occasion. You fall to the level of your training. And so the same thing go. happens with, with, with rodeo and uh, in all the events. So you mentioned that it's not just you flailing around on this animal. There is a lot of skill. You're actually trying to score. So how do you actually score a good ride? So there's two judges. Whenever uh, there'll be one, like whenever I leave the shoot, there should be a judge on my left and on my right. Sometimes at the bigger rodeos, they'll have four judges. But um, when you leave the shoot, there's a, there's a judge on the left and the right. Um, we'll call him a a judge and B judge. Your A judge, he's a, he's in charge of fifty total points of your score. Your B judge is in charge of another fifty. So it's possible hundred points is a, a possible the most possible points you can get. So the judge on the left, out of his fifty, he's gonna he's gonna go one to twenty five for the rider, one to twenty five for the animal. So if it's the absolute most perfect bull bucking. He's going to get, you know, he might get, he could get a 25. The perfect ride would be a 25. So that judge would be 50 points. Anything over 20 is typically pretty good. So if he says, if judge A says 20 for the rider, 20 for the bull, judge, judge B says 20 for the rider, 20 for the bull, that's 80 points. If you were to average 80 points at every, like if you went to every, you, you, you got on all your bulls and you rode nine out of 10 bulls, and you were 80 points on all of you would probably win the world. Well, you'd, you'd be the greatest bull rider of all time. So that's what you've done is what you're saying. I typically go nine. You're nine. Okay. 90, 80 is that's below you. Exactly. Okay. You know, if the, if the judge a were to say this bull is a 22 point bull and the rider did a 23 point ride. If the other judge says the same thing, that's a 90 point ride. So that's how it's judged half there's 50 points total for the animal, 50 points total for the rider. So that means that the animal is just as much of an athlete as the cowboy. You're getting scored on on both. 100%, yes. So when we get to the rodeo, amateur rodeos, they usually draw at the rodeo. So you don't know what you have until you get there. And uh, when you get there, you, you find out what animal you've drawn, and then you walk around, you look at them, you identify them, ask around what does this horse or bull do? Um, and so your, your score is going to depend a lot on the animal. The pro rodeos, you'll find out a few days before and you have a little more time to prepare um, a game plan, which some people don't even care. They won't even check it. Like they just, they don't, there's not a certain game plan, you know? So that draw is pretty important and it can, you know, you can, you can have a perfect ride and then a really weak animal and you may not win that right that that rodeo even though you did your job and how those animals buck is kind of deceiving if you're uneducated you know because if you've been to a rodeo you've probably seen like a horse or a bull jump or rear up and like do some wild things where the crowd was like oh my gosh but then the guy yep. ended up like a super low score because there's certain like for instance when a horse rears up there's nothing difficult about i mean if he were to flip over it'd be difficult but like if he just rears up, like that's not difficult to ride at all. You know, it, it doesn't feel like anything. It's actually really easy. And, and you might even, if a horse reared up in the middle of a ride for, for me, I would have, in my mind, I'm like, all right, just hold on. I'm probably getting a re-ride. But to the uneducated eye, you would think, oh my gosh, this guy's about to win the rodeo. 
well, anyhow, these judges, they know what's actually hard to ride and what's not. And so that I think is maybe one of the biggest downfalls of rodeo is that an uneducated person can go to a rodeo. And while it might be super wild, they may not appreciate the level of difficulty that a rider is, is executing because they're, they're uneducated on, on how these animals buck. Whereas that same person could be uneducated on basketball. If they go to an NBA game, you know, it's a little easier to see how, what these people are doing is amazing. And so that's one small chink in our armor that I think prevents us from having just a full scale, like the whole country going to all the rodeos is because there's that, that you kind of got to be educated on why Mm, this is difficult. That's a really good point. So you kind of, you kind of started going in on what makes an animal buck. Um, and, and we definitely recognize that these animals are just as much professional athletes as the Cowboys participating in the rodeo. However, there is a certain group of people out there that are extremely concerned with the ethical treatment of these rodeo animals. So can you talk about, are there policies in place to ensure that these animals are treated as the professional athletes that they are? Um, yes, there are policies in place. Absolutely. Now, I think what you, we kind of got to start at the beginning and, and, and like these, these animals, like a horse, for instance, he, that's, that's a, a flight animal. Like a horse isn't going to, isn't going to fight you. He's not going to, I mean, like you might come across a stud or a mare, like there's always exceptions to the rule, but as a general rule, horses, if they sense trouble or if they're in fear or if they're in pain, they're going to run. Like they're a flight animal. They're going to run away real fast. And so if this flank strap, which you can go to my YouTube and find search, search Dale Brisby flank strap. Like I put in the shoot, my horse Boone, um, he's 22, super gentle, been around, like he's pretty much a kid horse. Well, we flank him and he does nothing. You know, the flank doesn't go around his jelly beans. He's a gelding, so he doesn't even have them. <laughs> and if he did and we wrapped him around him, I'm sure he would do nothing, you know, because I wouldn't want to do anything if there were, you know what I'm saying? Like, so this flank, it's actually just a nylon strap covered in wool, you know, and, and it just, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of tightening up your belt three or four notches. And what it does is it gives him something to kick at, but if he were in pain, he would run hundred percent. He would run like you could talk to any vet and, uh, or, or just do an experiment, you know, like you don't have to cause pain on a horse, but like go put him in a situation where he's scared or potentially going to be in pain he's going to run even a, even a trained horse. So the point is when you see an animal bucking, be it a horse or a bull, they've got it in them to buck. Like they want to, for instance, like if you were to try to train a horse, either one of you gentlemen, if you're like, I want to, I want to train a horse. I want to have a good one. And you go pick out a two-year-old colt. Um, odds are he's going to buck a little at the beginning when you first put a saddle on it. Um, even if he wants to be gentle, he's probably gonna be like, what is this on my back? And he might quickly stop. Well, some of them don't stop. Some of them, you might experience a cult where it's just like, this joker does not want to stop bucking. Well, it's not hurting him because he's not taking off running, but he just won't stop bucking. That animal is an animal that could be suitable for the rodeo industry. Your other nine out of 10 horses that stopped bucking the second time you saddled them, they're not going to be good rodeo bucking horses. They don't want to do it. And we can't make them. Your animal that 
does want to buck, what we would then do, he's got to want to do it first. What we'll then do is add the flank strap. And it, when he bucks up in the air, he's just simply going to kick. It's going to add the kick. Whereas if he didn't have the flank, he's going to kick a little, but his right leg's going to go this way and his left leg's going to go out. And when he lands, his feet aren't going to be together. 100% this, this flank is, keeps an animal more safe when they're bucking. But you've got people out there who are trying to change policy who are not educated on what it does. And so they're, they're, they're going, they're trying to force opinions on people when they, their foundation of knowledge is, is built on something that's just not true. Same thing with bulls. This, it's, it's a cotton rope that goes around their flank area. And it's while their testicles are close to that area, like some of these bulls, people will pay 50, 60, $100,000 for. Holy cow. They, they want that animal to perform. And if he is in pain, he's not going to perform. Right. Like sometimes like in the PRCA, when we know that we're going to have an animal, like we, I might know on Monday what animal I'm going to get on on Friday. Well, usually if it's Thursday and I see a 719, because PRCA is in Colorado, 719 area code pop up, I know immediately, oh man, they crippled my horse or bull. Meaning mm. like something happened during the week. Maybe he got in a fight. Maybe he got his leg hung in, and they're just going to give him the week off. And they're like, hey, Dale, um, your, your bull is, is in, you know, he's limping and we're going to give you another animal if you'd still like to come. And usually we do go, but whatever the point is, is like, if this animal's in pain, we're not going to buck him. Okay. Well, if you spent $75,000 on a bull that you can't buck, he's useless. You want him in a padded trailer with like rubber floor mats, some sawdust, like you're going to give him a barn. You roll out the red carpet for him. If you spend, I mean, literally think about it. Like, you could you could assume that cowboys are just pieces of crap, but if you spend, everybody understands the money language, so you could be a PETA lover. Like, imagine a hundred thousand dollars in an animal. You're gonna make sure that some buck is like, yeah, yeah. treated like a king. You mentioned the the flank strap there and the cotton around the bull. Everyone kind of pictures a football player with the helmets, the pads. We all kind of get that. But what kind of equipment is there for you as a rider and for the bull in addition to that flank strap? Well, for the rider, you know, uh, one of the most important ones is the vest. Just because if you're stepped on or a horn, you know, that vest is going to help you. Uh, it's not Kevlar. It's not bulletproof. I don't know why people would think that. But um, it's going to definitely stop the, you know, it spreads out the force. So if a horn, a very sharp horn hits you, it's going to spread out that force. Um, and then there's also the helmet. So, uh, that'll help from, from, from head injuries. If you're a, a bucking horse rider, there's, there's typically less head injuries than bull riders. So you're going to see, you, you, you still might occasionally see young, like learning horse, bucking horse riders wear a helmet, but most of the guys that have been on a lot, they're, they're not going to wear as many helmets. And for the bull, that is all you're holding on to is a rope. That's all you got, right? Yes. Yes. So. I always hear, you know, when you're when you're at a rodeo, you hear the announcer talk about the purse or the pot, uh, and that's obviously the money you're making. But we see lots of people get bucked off and assumingly not make any money. <laughs> Is it hard to make a living as a professional rodeo cowboy? And then 
What's it feel like when you go somewhere? And I know you don't know this feeling, but what do you think other people <laughs> feel like when they when they drive, you know, 8, 12, 16 hours to get bucked off? 100%. Great question. It's something that's a, a lot different from other um, events. It's a lot different. I mean, a, a sports, you know, because not only do we pay our own fuel, our, our own everything to get there, it's um, we then also pay an entry fee. So it might cost a hundred dollars entry fees. So let's take when you said Brazoria County, are you talking about Texas? I am. I'm in. I'm. I'm from Brazoria yeah, County. Yeah. So in Angleton, Texas. right? That, that's that's exactly where I'm building the yeah, house so right now. <laughs> Angleton, that they actually have been on there. They've got an a, an AMI finals there. It's called the CPRA finals. And that's uh, right. So you know the even even though it's an even though it's a finals you're going to you're going to pay an entry fee you know you're going to pay 150 it might be $300 there and if i get bucked off all three like i go home empty handed period for a rodeo cowboy yeah and and angleton for me would be about a six and a half or a 7 hour drive and so like i i could potentially drive 14 hours round trip pay for my fuel pay for my my food pay my entry fees 250 $300 and then turn around and come home empty handed now, because I'm Dale Brisby, that's not going to happen. But what happens is, is like you just you pay your dues, and um, and then what it you 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 just gotta. Some guys go broke, and some guys can't do it, and they'll stop and go get a job for a few months and save up money. Uh, most guys do. You know, there's a small percentage of rodeo cowboys that actually make a living riding and and rodeoing. Does it? Yeah. Does that ever actually? Like, how much can you make at a rodeo? If you win the whole thing, obviously it's different at each rodeo, but what, what kind of money are we talking? So different rodeos will have different amounts of money added, and what they do, what they're trying to do with those added money amounts is attract entries, attract cowboys. So um, that's those CPRA finals that we're talking about in Angleton. You actually have to, like, qualify to get to those, but they you might you could potentially win – if you won all three rounds, I could see a guy walking out of there with, you know, seven, eight thousand um, dollars out of Angleton, three day deal. If uh, there's a local rodeo here, I think it's like a thousand added. If you won that, they're gonna pl- pay out maybe four holes, you know, and then you've got the entry fee money. You could you could probably win six or seven hundred dollars. This would be a smaller one if you won the rodeo. Cheyenne, you might win twenty thousand. Oh wow. Wow. Red Bluff. Last year, JB won Red Bluff. I think he walked away with like $24,000. Red Bluff, wow. California. So there's some bigger rodeos that, um, you know, you try to work up to. And, and if you win, you, you can walk away with a pretty good amount of money. The thing about it, though, is like, or you have some guys get hurt and they walk away with a $20,000 hospital bill. Wow. My collarbone surgery in November cost $19,000. Wow. How do you even get insured as a bull rider? Uh, they, they'll, they'll, they'll cover you. You know, thankfully a lot of these insurance companies are, are uneducated on, on all the, <laughs> the dangers <laughs> of it. But if you're in the PRCA, you actually also have an insurance that if it happens within the arena, it's really it's like like most insurance companies they're hard to deal with and it's it's hard to get payment on it but like the I use that insurance to for the surgery on my hand but if you've got your own insurance they always that's a secondary one so I had to prove mm-hmm. that I, that I didn't have a anyway there's some loopholes but the team <laughs> ropers team ropers complain because 
to get your to buy your PRCA card every year, it's like five hundred dollars. Well, a large portion of that is your insurance. Well, team ropers never use it, you know, mm-hmm. and so all these bull riders end up being the ones that why they got to pay the high insurance. But my argument is, is like bull riders are the reason people are coming to watch the damn rodeo yep. to begin. <laughs> they're filling seats. They and are, I watched. The I watched seats. a team roper. They searched around for his thumb in the arena for like 15 minutes. I'm pretty sure he used that the insurance. That Roper is not going to complain about the insurance. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So Dale Brisby, greatest bull rider of all time. You have inspired a generation of cowboys. Will you leave our listeners with just one bit of that Dale Brisby wisdom? I have so, I was passionate about two things in high school and growing up, like, I'll put ranching and rodeoing in one category. And then the second was like military. So like I wanted to go to the military so bad I could taste it, but I I could not not rodeo. And so like I, I, I just resonate and I've read like all the books. Like if you name like a recent book that came out of like our 20 year war recently, like I've probably read it, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Marcus's. So like listening to those guys, like podcast and like I've, I've, I've just learned a tremendous amount of wisdom from, from a lot of these war fighters. And what it does is puts, puts a lot in perspective. And like I said, as a rodeo cowboy, you get to experience just the epitome of freedom. You, you enter rodeos all over the country, you go where you want, you're competing for your, you know, it's, everything is earned. It's not given to you. You know, you're sleeping under the bleachers at a rodeo and going to another one the next day and you're five States away you, you know, you stand on the back of the shoots at the beginning of each rodeo and every single rodeo cowboy gets chills listening to the national anthem just because they are experiencing freedom, you know? And so, you know, listening to like reading all these books and, and watching the movies about what goes on with our war fighters. Like, it's just, yeah, I've, I don't know that there's someone more grateful than a rodeo cowboy for what they do, but, but I, in reading all these books, like listening to like sacrifice and suffering, like I, I would just, I would have to say that like perspective on and being thankful for what we do have is maybe one of the most important things that could keep a guy in their right mind, you know, because a lot of times we get a little, we take for granted, like what we have over here with freedom and, 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 uh, the safeties that we, that we could, because we were raised in it, you know, like we're born in this country and we just, it doesn't cross our mind that the violence that exists around the world. And so I think that's one thing as a rodeo cowboy, that's pretty common like any rodeo cowboy that you might come across is going to be super patriotic. Every rodeo has a military appreciation night, but as far as just your classic Dale Brisby wisdom that I need to leave you with, I'm going to have to say, um, always give a hundred percent unless you're donating blood. All right. After hearing that interview, Tyler, it's very clear. You and I, we ain't no cowboys. <laughs> we, we ain't no cowboys, man. We ain't no cowboys. Just a couple of farm boys out here. That's right. Although I was inspired. I was talking about it doesn't take any experience to ride a bull. I was thinking, well, I don't have any experience. Maybe I should hop on a bull. <laughs> Maybe I should ride. You, you know, one thing that I really enjoyed was, you know, of course, learning about the sport of rodeo and what it means to be a professional cowboy, but getting an insight to Dale Brisby as, you know, the man behind the glasses, if you will. We've watched Dale Brisby for a long time now. He's 12, the best at what he does. Years, is that what he said? Oh, yep. That's absolutely. Crazy. Absolutely. And 
to to hear his his take on patriotism and what it's like to be a leader in the industry. I I love. Yeah, that. I'm just excited to take this newfound knowledge when I go to the next rodeo and watch those horses buck up. When he talked about what looks easy or what looks hard, I think is kind of interesting. So it'll be fun to share this with our listeners. Maybe next time they're at a rodeo, they'll realize, oh, that's actually way harder than it looks. That'll be kind of fun. Hopefully people are inspired to go to the county fair this year. I agree. I, I found it similar to our show cattle episode with Lacey. Yeah. She talked about, you know, when we go to watch these sports, both show cattle and rodeo, it was really, really important for someone who is watching to understand the sport, to understand everything that's going on, to understand how they're judged, how they're scored. And hopefully people will walk away from this episode, like you said, being able to go to a rodeo and, and say, oh, you know, that looked like it was crazy, but he should actually get a re-ride on that one. And then it's not quite as chaotic as it looks. You know, he says, you're not just flapping around like the technique that goes behind that. I thought it was really cool when he mentioned the saddle broncs lifting up on the horse. Those are things I never paid attention mm. to. So it'll be fun to see that. I agree. And I got to say, man, <laughs> I got, I'm like, I want to go to a, one of these vegetable growing competitions. Now I'm tired of not competing at my profession. <laughs> I need to, I want to go to one of these, uh, you know, largest vegetable growing competitions and like blast it all over the internet to really make them popular so that We're I gonna can start, start a garden, <laughs> yes. garden competitions. So that I, I'm tired of not competing at things. I'm I'm ready yeah. to compete. <laughs> you want to be the greatest okra grower of all time. You are absolutely right. I just want to be known as the greatest podcast hosts of all time. I'd be happy with that. I tell you what, with all the different countries, we, I mean, we're being listened to internationally at this point. Yeah, we got to give a quick shout out to Norway because we found out that 2% of our audience is listening in Norway. How cool is that? We've actually been receiving a lot of feedback from people overseas, and we haven't answered a lot of those on the podcast just because we don't know if we're truly experts in other countries. But Tyler, you have a really interesting question from someone in South Africa. What does it say? I do. Our question comes from Prince in South Africa. No way. Prince? His name is Prince? His, it is Prince. And he says... Oh, that's awesome. That's he, awesome. Sa he says, Tyler and Noah, I've really enjoyed listening to the Farming for Dummies podcast. I especially love the mailbag segment. Around here, Lady Fingers is really popular to grow in the garden. Would y'all have some unique variety selections that would be good for our area? So... Lady's I, Fingers. What he's How actually cool that? talking about is okra. Right. It's like he was reading my mind. It's like he was reading my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so I will say that in the vast world of okra, there are so many fun varieties that you can grow. And so I'm going to mix it up a little bit. And uh, I'm going to suggest two varieties that I grew last season that we had a lot of fun with. Our chef customers loved all the different colors. And so the Okinawa pink, it's a... Uh, uh, fairly long cylindrical pink in color okra variety, really, really drought tolerant, really tall plant, really hardy. The other one is Jing Orange, which is a shorter, uh, kind of wider okra variety that is slightly orange in color, just as drought tolerant, extremely 
hearty and tasty okra variety. So good luck to you, Prince, and your ladyfinger growing. There you have it from our farm dummy expert, our okra expert, in fact. If you have questions for Tyler and myself, you can email them to farmdummies at gmail.com. That's going to be enough from us today. As always, we hope you learned something. And remember, like John Wayne used to say, life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. We'll see y'all on the next podcast. Thank you.